from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, bless us that we will see your glory as the God who is the creator of all things, and yet the God who binds up the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. Oh, what a glorious, mighty, and tender God you are. And oh, we pray that your glory will rest upon us, that we ourselves, with all the capacity you give us, will as well bind up the bruised reed and not extinguish the smoldering wick. Make us, Lord, like yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the, uh, as part of the service so far, we did two things with the elders, right? We presented the elders to you, and we first spoke of the elders and what we were doing in ordination. And then uh, Mark spoke to the elders, a, a charge of encouragement to them. Actually, in this passage, we have something similar. In, that, in the first uh, few verses, through verse 4, God is presenting his servant and he's speaking of the servant to the people. Then beginning in verse 5, you can see where he speaks to the servant. And so the first part, he's describing the servant's task. And the second part, he's speaking to the servant, confirming him, encouraging him in his task. Now, we're going to take it in reverse order. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9, where God speaks to his servant to confirm him in his task. Now, if, if you may have noticed that the title for this whole series that we are doing on Isaiah 40 through 55 is A Light to the Nations. And what makes that interesting is that this section is about God's deliverance of Israel from Babylon to bring them back to Canaan. So, it's, it seems like the servant's task would simply be that, get Israel back to Canaan. 
And maybe the title of our series would be uh, Rescue and Return. That's it. But this passage shows us, as many do, uh, of these passages show, that that's just not going to cut mustard in terms of what this is all about. Look with me in, verses, in, in verse 6, where he says this to the servant. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. There's our title, right? A light for the nations. So this is not just about a rescue from Babylon. It's not just about a return to the land of Canaan. This is about bringing light to all the nations. That's what's going on here. Now, why is that? Well, the original father of the nation of Israel, Abraham, received this covenant promise from God And this ultimately was a promise to all of Israel. And a vital part of that promise was, I will make you a blessing to all families in the earth. I will make you a blessing to all families in the earth. So right from the beginning, when you think covenant, you have to think not only a covenant with Abraham to bless Abraham, but through Abraham to bring blessing to the whole world. That's what the covenant was about from the start in Genesis 12. It's about the whole earth. And so, as he gives the servant, as it says here, I give you as a covenant to the people, this means that God's servant will embody this covenant. He will, he will be a guarantee of the covenant. He will bring the covenant to pass. And therefore, he must be about bringing this blessing to all the families of the earth or it won't deal with the covenant, right? He must be a light to the nations. And that's why these two statements are back to back. If you're a covenant for the people, you will be a light for the nations. All the families of the earth must be blessed through this covenant. And then you get a little idea of what being a light to the nations means in the verses, uh, the, the, uh, the phrases that follow. He says there, he will open the eyes that are blind and to, he will bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so being a light to the nations, we see, is a mission of rescue and salvation for those nations. He's not only giving Israel hope to escape from Babylon, he's giving the whole world hope to escape from sin and darkness. That's what this servant will do. This is what he will be to the world. The New Testament teaches unequivocally in many, many places that these references to the servant that begin here in chapter 42 and continue refer to Jesus Christ. One example is from Jesus himself when he's at his hometown, Nazareth, and he quotes Isaiah 61. When you read Isaiah 61, you'll be uh, amazed how much like this part of Isaiah 42 it is. Very, very similar in terms of setting the prisoners free and that kind of thing. Jesus quotes 61 and he says, now this is fulfilled. This day it's fulfilled. I am the fulfillment of it. So even Christ himself 
would, would say, I am that servant that has come forth. And so, as we belong to God's covenant through Jesus Christ, we take our part in bringing the blessing of Christ to all the families of the earth. We become a part of this light to the nations. So, we must consciously be a part of this mission in our prayers, in the way we show kindness and hospitality to those outside, in our sacrificial love for them, and in our words about Christ. You can't belong to this covenant without being a part of this mission because that's what the covenant was about from the beginning. And this servant, when he comes to establish this covenant and to be the covenant of the people, he will be a light to the nations. So you and I need to be encouraged because when we belong to Christ, he makes us a part of this blessing. He takes your sin away through his death. He raises you up to new life. He begins to transform you into a person that gives his or her life away to others. And then he gives you fellowship and encouragement and support from the community of Jesus Christ as we all move forward to be a part of of this blessing to the world. And isn't it encouraging that Jesus himself says to us, you are the light of the world. You know, the servant is the light to the nations, but join to him, living out his life and proclaiming him, Jesus can say, you're, you are the light of the world. And so by God's grace, through our words and our love, God uses us to open the eyes of the blind and to bring people out of the dungeons of darkness. Could there be any more awesome calling on your life as a human being? That God would use you in that way. And he assures us in this passage that it will, surely, that it will happen because in verses 5 and 6 that begin the passage and in verses 9 and 10, 8 and 9 that end the passage, he says, I am the Lord. I am the creator of all things so that nothing can stop me from bringing this about. And so indeed, God the Son did become a man and live out a perfect humanity. He did die for his people. He, he was raised from the dead. He did ascend into heaven. And from that day till now, he has been the light of the nations, bringing more and more people of the nations into fellowship with God. Indeed, God is Lord. And so the great statement in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord. Jesus says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go and make disciples of the nation. So many overtones of the Lord declaring what he will do for his people. And I love this uh, verse 8 that ends this section. I'm the Lord that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Isn't it interesting that he mentions his glory right here? And distances himself from idols. In that idols can't do anything. He's the Lord who created all things. And he's going to bring this about. Idols can't tell you what the future is going to be. I, he says, have uh, declared the new things that are going to happen. He is Lord 
It is going to happen. And his glory is that he opens the eyes of the blind and sets free those who are in prison. That's his honor and glory. He will hold on to that glory and manifest that glory in his church. And that's why, part of why in Isaiah 60 it says, His glory will be seen on you and nations will come to your light. So you and I, by living out our new life in Christ and proclaiming this life and setting people free from the dungeon of darkness and seeing their eyes open, we manifest the glory of God on earth. His glory is to set people free. So those are his encouraging words in verses nine through, uh, 5 through 9 uh, that he speaks to the servant. But we see this same worldwide scope in the words he speaks in verses 1 through 4, speaking of the servant. We read in first. The first verse, for instance, that he will bring justice not to Israel alone, but to the nations. And in verse 4, that he will establish justice not only for Israel, but in the earth. So it's not just a message of Israel's liberation, but it's a message of the earth's liberation. And what is this word justice used three times in these four verses? John Oswald says that this justice is that life-giving order which exists when the creation is functioning according to the design of its Lord. This life-giving order that the servant will bring about on the earth. It means then it's, the, it's God's full salvation working itself out so that finally there's a renewed creation and a worldwide society of goodness and blessing for every person. That's what justice will look like in the final day. So again, it's not just a message of restoration for broken Israel in Babylon. It's a message of restoration from a poor broken world. The earth will know his justice. And again, he contrasts the images by the way he begins in verse 1. Because the last verse of the former chapter was, Behold, they, the idols, are a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Behold, my servant. So the feel is this. Behold the emptiness of idols that are nothing and can do nothing. Behold, my servant, who will establish justice throughout the whole earth. Night and day. Okay. And uh, this phrase, in whom my soul delights, seems to be the reference uh, on purpose in the New Testament when God says of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. As though God is saying at his baptism, hey, you remember that servant I talked about? This is him. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one in whom my soul delights, even my own son And so the servant perfectly reflects the character of the father. And because it says in verse 1 that he upholds the servant and he puts his spirit upon the servant, the servant will then bring justice to the nations. 
Just like later in verse 6, he says, I've called you. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. That's why in verse 3 it says, he will faithfully bring forth this justice. He will not fail to bring about this justice. And the last time in verse 4, it's even a stronger word used. He will establish justice like a foundation in the earth. And the repetition is the Hebrew way of saying, you can bank on it. It's going to happen. And you get some flavor of what this justice will look like in verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, it says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. That means he will not be ostentatious and self-serving. He will not answer the arrogance of kings with being a king of arrogance. His work will be marked by humility and a focus on the needs of others. So in Matthew 12, when Christ healed some people and told them not to make him known, Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes these verses. So Matthew's saying, hey, the servant, that's not going to make an ostentious Uh, attention who's going to serve others this is the one this is the fulfillment of that servant he is the servant and then in verse 3 we read a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench you see he does not answer king's oppression with his oppression even more oppression. He will care for the weakest members of his people. In his gentle care, even the bent over and, and cracked reed, he will not break it. Even the barely smoldering wick in his gentleness, he will not extinguish it. The most fragile people, he will bind them up. He will hold them together. He will bring healing and wholeness into their lives. He helps the helpless. He does not despise them as worthless. He does not push them aside and leave them behind in disgust. And you don't earn the straight and sturdy reed medal award to earn a place among his people. He is not carefully selecting the healthiest plants of the garden. Obviously not. This is not the survival of the fittest. It is the salvation of the unfit. It is the rescue of the bruised and of the faintly burning. You see, brothers and sisters, this gives us a feel for what his justice will do, how it will act, how it will show steadfast care for his people. And the words in verse 4 are related. He will not grow faint or discouraged. They're basically the same words as just you. So he's saying he will care for the discouraged and faintly burning, but he himself will not be discouraged or be snuffed out. Okay? He will not fail to bring rescue to the failed and failing, in effect. We are weak, but he is strong. (laughs) And I think this, this beautiful justice that he speaks of will be fulfilled in two different ways. 
First, it will be fulfilled as Christ forms us into a community that is marked by mutual forgiveness and care. Whatever problems come to the table, whatever broken issues come, whatever they may be, this place where we can be honest and open about our struggles, even as Brian began the service, talking about how worship is it's critical for worship for there to be this honesty. This place where you can be embraced and encouraged no matter your condition. A place of comfort and patience and kindness and care. A place where we sacrifice for one another. A place where we have a faithful and joyful society folding in more and more people as we exhibit this servant's care to the world. And you see, this is what Christ does for his people. That's why I think this confession is so important that we use this morning. Lord, you are merciful. You lowered yourself. You spent yourself. for. Look what I did. Look how I act. This passage calls us to bind people up as he has bound us up. And this passage teaches as well that this just community that we become as the church spreads itself throughout the world. And you get a piece of this later in Isaiah 53 where it says the servant dies for the sins of his people. And then in chapter 54, as a result of that death, it says enlarge your tent, spread out everywhere. (laughs) The indication that God will spread his people out and this love and uh, this loving community will fold more and more people into itself. And so he is Lord and he will spread his church. He will enable it to reflect his tender care and justice. And brothers and sisters, we have to be formed into this kind of community. You see this, right? I mean, we have no option. We have to be formed into this kind of community or we are not a part of the servant's life. We're not a part of the servant's covenant, his work. But he will make us this way. He will make us into a people where where others that are alone can find friendship and where people who are broken can be bound up. When you see how tender his care is, you realize we, by His grace, can become just that tender in our care. We can repent of our sin and our pride, our abominable pride, and become humble like He is humble, to be used to care for others as He cares for others. And again, from, uh, from Isaiah 60, it's then that we'll, the people will see our glory. What is our glory? Our glory is that we bind up the brokenhearted like that's his glory. That's his glory, his magnificent kindness. And by his grace, we can be a part of that as well. And then in the last place, this establishment of justice is finally fulfilled when Christ comes again and brings the world as we know it to a close. He will make the earth, he ushers in, ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. He will make it a place that is perfectly wonderful in which to live. 
That's justice for the whole world. He will make the earth so that everyone will treat each other with the utmost care, respect, and honor and love. Every person will joyfully and gratefully embrace one another. Every one of us will do constant good with unending happy energy. That's what it will look like. Every one of us will make others satisfied and fulfilled in our love, and they will make us satisfied and fulfilled in their love. We will know the endless pleasure of infinite relationship. Only goodness forever. That's when justice will be established in the earth. And what are we ultimately then saved from? How does this give us hope? Because we live in a world of madness and the confusion of evil that constantly breaks out. You never turn on the news without seeing it. And then we struggle in church communities with our own outbreaks of sin, our own divisions at times, our own struggles. We each know the own struggle in our own life. Paul, in many places in the New Testament, describes man's sin apart from God. I've pulled some of them together, and this is what Paul says. These are all actual words that he uses to describe our sin. They are lovers of self, lovers of money, covetous, proud, arrogant, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, full of murder, strife, deceit, malicious gossips, slanderous, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, ruthless, brutal, treacherous, irreconcilable, full of malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, without self-control, swollen with conceit, enslaved to various passions, haters of God. That's the short list. (laughs) Okay. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, we can be a part of the light that shines into that darkness and draws people out of separation from God into fellowship with God and into a beginning conformity to the love of Christ. And finally, every last trace of all this evil will be finally and forever gone. Praise God. (laughs) Every bit of it will be gone when the servant establishes justice in the earth. And the people of God said, Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we rejoice in you, our great King, that in all of your unlimited power, you nonetheless have the greatest regard for the very weakest. Lord, it is your glory to have that regard. And each of us, to some degree, know just how helpless and broken and hollow we are apart from your grace. Oh, Lord, thank you that you find us where you are. You require nothing initially that we bring to the table, just that we fall in your arms, helplessly depending upon your mighty grace.
to recover us in every way, to take away the guilt of our sin, to take away the dominion of sin, and to give us a hope that we can be a part of bringing light to the darkness. We who ourselves were the darkness, we praise you, my